Hey everyone, Dr. Pat and I would personally like to invite you to join us in our Grow My Baby program. This is week-by-week pregnancy and birth information developed from our experience of helping more than 4,000 women grow and birth their babies. All our links are on our website, growmybaby.com.au. The information in this podcast is provided for education and research information only. It is not a substitute for professional health advice. If you're trying to get pregnant or you are pregnant and you feel a little bit overwhelmed by all you need to know, then this is the right podcast for you. Welcome to the show. I'm Bridget Maloney. And I'm obstetrician Dr. Patrick Maloney. And this is The Kick your expert-led podcast that delivers the essentials of growing a baby. Make sure you head to our website, growmybaby.com.au, to get some awesome free tools like our Pregnancy Knowledge Checker to help you feel like you got this. Well, welcome, everyone. I'm Bridget Maloney. And I'm obstetrician Dr. Patrick Maloney. And welcome to The Kick. Welcome back, everybody. We're doing Q&As today. Q&As, yes, we love the Q&As, and actually we've got... Quite a lot. It's really hard to choose which Q&As that we do, so we try to get a bit of a uh, spread of different ideas and different concepts and issues. Yeah, that people and have questions in. that illustrate common problems. Yeah. yeah. All right, so I've got some that I'm going to read and some that I'm, I've got on the speak pipe. Oh, good. So first off, I'm going to read an anonymous one. I had a laparoscopy six weeks ago and have been diagnosed with stage three endometriosis after about a year and a half of painful periods. Mm-hmm. My doctor recommended trying for a baby after recovering from surgery, as it can sometimes be better chance of falling pregnant. I began tracking my periods and ovulation with an app and OPKs. My most recent cycle was 18 days, which was totally abnormal for me. I am worrying that if my cycles are irregular, I may not be ovulating. Would this be due to the stress and recovery of surgery, or would it be the symptom of the endo? My main concern with my endo is around fertility, as we definitely want a baby. What should I do? Should I be concerned about this random, very short cycle? Thanks. Okay. That, that's a good question. Yeah. yeah. So um, Anonymous uh, has had a laparoscopy for pelvic pain, which has revealed the endometriosis, and her gynecologist slash fertility specialist has said, look, quite wisely, get on and get the get on and try and get pregnant uh, whilst the pelvis is a, you know. While the getting's good. <laughs> while the getting's good. I say a clean slate, you know. Oh, yeah. we've, we've just taken out all the endometriosis. That We've probably flushed the tubes as part of the laparoscopy. And now we want to get on and, and get pregnant uh, while the going's good. In the, the text, though, they, they said that the, the, the cycle, that the, that the short 18-day cycle was very abnormal for them. So let's assume for a moment that the that the actual cycle that's happening all the rest of the time is a normal sort of 28, 29 day cycle, then clearly that's someone who ovulates. And if this is just a one-off, we don't worry about that. Mm. Often after surgery, sometimes the laparoscopy has a curette as part of it as well, or a hysteroscopy looking up into the uterus with a telescope through the vagina. And uh, all of those things can upset the timing of a, a cycle, but briefly, yeah? So what we really want to know is when that, when her normal usual everyday cycle comes back, what's that one like? Mm. Okay. And remember in the early episode of the kick on ovulation, we talked about that regular cycles are usually ovulatory 
So the thing to do here is exactly what she's doing. She's using the ovulation predictor kits and she's uh, recording a few cycles. And we want to just wait and, and see what happens over those next few cycles. Yeah. Yeah. It's about being patient. and Being patient, yeah. yeah. And if Letting your op- body re- heal and, and get back into the normal routine and regularity. Absolutely. So one, little, one funny little 18-day cycle, that doesn't, that doesn't worry me at all. Yeah. And I know how stressful that feels. Like, you know, you've gone through the surgery, you want the baby... <laughs> Yeah, this is probably someone who's gone, I've had this laparoscopy, they've found all this endometriosis, they've fixed it, I've had the painful recovery, and now my period's gone to hell. Uh, you know, what's going on? But mm. the, the, the underlying cycle will be back. Obviously, if there's a problem with the underlying cycle, then that's a different matter. Yeah. And how many months should she wait if her regular normal period hasn't come back? Well, using the OPKs, three months is tons because the OPKs will tell you if they, if they never turn positive, then there's a problem. Mm. But if somebody had an, an, a regular ovulatory 28-day cycle and then had a laparoscopy, that doesn't affect that. Mm. It's just that some people have got both problems, endometriosis causing pelvic pain and an anovulation problem. Mm. And those people need a laparoscopy to remove the endometriosis and some uh, ovulation induction. Yeah, good luck, Anonymous. Patty, let's move on to question number two. Okay. And I'm going to um, play this one from SpeakPipe. Right. This is Hannah. Hannah. Hannah's actually done our program. <laughs> Hi, Dr. Pat and Bridget. My name is Hannah. I'm obsessed with your podcast <laughs> and I loved your Grow My Baby program. I did it in 2020 when I was pregnant with my first child. I'm looking at baby number two now and i This time around, I actually have an underactive thyroid. I was diagnosed with it six months after having my daughter. And I'm just wondering how that affects pregnancy second time around and anything I need to be aware of going into pregnancy with an underactive thyroid. Great question. Thyroid disease is common. Mm. Um, The big ticket things we need here, we need diagnosis. Okay, so an underactive thyroid is like a description of what the thyroid's doing, but it's not really a diagnosis. There are several conditions that could give you an under underactive thyroid. Um, so I think it's really important that that if people get thyroid disease happening in the postpartum period, which is a pretty common time for women to get thyroid diagnoses, uh, then then we know exactly what it is, mm-hmm. and that might be something that can be worked out by a local doctor, um, endocrinologist. Um, and we get a diagnosis and a treatment, and, and usually that treatment is to just to go on some thyroid hormone, which is you know easy and effective and easy to take. And that's going to put the blood tests back in the normal range and probably resolve the symptoms. And then you carry on and you get pregnant in due course if that's the plan. And then we want to then we want to really closely watch that woman during the pregnancy to make sure that the thyroid stays in the normal range. And there are actually special normal ranges for pregnancy with thyroid, um, which is different to the non-pregnant people. And so tend to check it at booking and then once a trimester and then again about six weeks postpartum. Uh, and we want to make sure that we just keep that person in a nice healthy thyroid range uh, to um, maximise the fetal development. So if somebody's got an underactive thyroid and it's not properly... Um, managed or mm-hmm. up to those optimal levels of thyroid hormone yeah. or whatever. Um, is there any impact on the baby? Yeah, well, we, we don't see this very often because people usually get diagnosed properly and managed properly. Um, but at its uh, 
at its absolute worst, um, a severe hypothyroidism in pregnancy um, can lead to um, a very low. Um, it can affect fetal brain development mm-hmm. and lead to, at its very worst, a, a very low intelligence um, uh, child. Yeah. Uh, intellectual disability of, of of you know a really significant amount, but that's that's not something that's seen much these days. Yeah, and mm. I'm imagining if Hannah was diagnosed six months after having her first, and mm. I, from memory, I think that well, that baby would be two years old, two and a half years old. Yeah, hopefully she's been managed so her thyroid levels have been good ever yeah. since. Yeah. yeah, so it's obviously been managed, yeah. um, and I think that that um, it's not that hard to keep the thyroid in the in the normal range. It just needs a fair few blood tests and lots of surveillance. So good luck there, Hannah. All right, I'm going to read uh, question number three, and it's about VBACs. Oh, good. Well, one of your favourite topics. All right, so this is from Jordan. Hello, lovely people. I was wondering if you could chat about subsequent births after a VBAC. So my first was an emergency C-section. Mm-hmm. Second was a successful VBAC. What are my options with my third birth hmm. or anyone's third birth? For example, induction, monitoring, etc. Obviously, a VBAC can be quite restricted, which is for good reason. But I've heard mixed messages as to what is recommended after a successful VBAC. Thanks again for all your great info. I'm currently about halfway through all of your podcasts again, listening with freshly pregnant ears. <laughs> <laughs> good, freshly pre- pregnant ears. That's good. I think that um, this is a really good question. The person who I, is the best candidate for VBAC is somebody who's had a previous vaginal birth, whether that vaginal birth was a VBAC or not. So if you have a vaginal birth for your first baby, a Caesar for your second, then the VBAC oh, yeah. that you have for your third, you're the golden candidate because you have previously had a vaginal birth. Yes, I and see. And when you labour, you're going to labour like someone who's had a previous vaginal birth, not just a previous pregnancy. Yeah. Um, and it's much more likely to work. So if someone's had um, a, a Caesar and then a um, and then a VBAC, then the, the then the the second VBAC and the third VBAC, are, they're all more, they're more likely to work. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so to answer the question, I don't I don't think it changes anything about whether you should do it or not. I don't think it changes the risks. I don't think it changes whether you should or shouldn't be induced. I, I don't think it really changes anything. It's just that it's on your side that's more likely to work. Yeah, yeah. So. Um, you know those those broader VBAC discussions, which we've discussed elsewhere, about you know the best thing to do is to come into spontaneous labour at term. How does that stuck stack up against your need to be induced if you're post dates or diabetic or what or hypertensive, whatever? Those discussions are still what they are. It's not different just because it's your second VBAC. Yeah. Yeah. Good. So I think maybe what they're getting at here is that are the rules. L- Oh, yeah. Relaxed. Will I be? Yes, that's yeah. right. And I, I don't think so. No, you'd be monitored the same. The risks yeah. are the same. Yeah. yeah. I've, I've got Steve, our editor, sort of looking at me. He's, he's wondering, what is a VBAC? Oh, right. Oh, the listeners know that, Steve. You don't. <laughs> that's vaginal birth after Caesar. Good. Well, good luck, Jordan. I hope you get your VBAC. That's, um, yeah, and it's a cracking question. Yeah. But I think the answer is pretty simple. It's the same as last time. Yeah. Yeah. But, least, more, but, more, but more likely to work. Yeah, more yeah. likely to work. Another vaginal birth. Good. All right. I'm going to play our next message. Hi, team. I want to thank you so much for everything that you do. I've only started listening uh, in the last week and a half, but I'm already up to date. I love everything that you guys produce and it's really helped me feel more informed. Um, I really need your help with something. Um, I really don't have anyone else to talk about and it's really about... um, 
dad's or partner's reaction to an unexpected pregnancy. I have been with my partner for 10 years. Um, We're committed and love each other and plan to have kids and get married in the next couple of years. We are in our our mid-20s and we aren't we weren't necessarily ready for this pregnancy, which is unexpected. And my partner is really, um, really taken back by it and honestly leaning towards a termination. And it's something I'm really struggling with because in the past we have had to go down that route, um, but we're a lot older now and I really feel ready for this little one. And my question is, is this fear of an inability to provide for your little one? Is this a normal reaction that every new expectant kind of um, dad goes through? And is it something that will pass? Or do I really need to worry about my partner's mental health here? Because I never want to force someone into something, but I'm really struggling with this decision. And I want to know if this is a normal kind of reaction that her message cut out um, at one and a half minutes, but it's a it's a amazing message, and it's sort of yeah brave brave person to contact us yeah. with that situation. That's a difficult difficult situation. It is. It sort of breaks my heart a little bit. Yeah. Mm. So there's a lot in there. There is. Um, but um, one thing that she says is this: Could this just be a normal reaction to an unexpected uh, pregnancy diagnosis? Uh, and and I think that that is. I mean, the answer is yes, it might be, mm. um, but but couples have got you know a relatively brief window in this in this uh, scenario to to work out what to do. Mm. So bringing in our supports uh, is really is really um, important in a surprise pregnancy, yeah. Uh, so that we can um, you know both uh, both uh, both people in the couple uh, can work out uh, what they want to do and then what they want to do together. You're listening to The Kick with Dr. Pat and Bridget. How many times have you Googled something about your pregnancy? When I was pregnant all the time, Dr. Pat. (laughs) We get it. You may be confused or overwhelmed. It's normal to want information, but where's the reliable stuff from experts? Yeah. Now, if you like our podcast... Dr. Pat and I have developed an online program to help guide you through whatever stage of pregnancy you're at. It's taken us literally two years to put it together. Two long, hard years, wasn't it? (laughs) But, you know, it is a game changer in how pregnancy information is given. Now, how it works is uh, you get to sign up at whatever stage of pregnancy you're at. Like, So you could be pre-pregnant in your very early stages of pregnancy, late pregnancy, preparing for birth, or maybe you've just brought your baby home. And you get lots of information around that. And then you also get to join our closed Facebook group. We've called in all our contacts too. So we've got a dietitian, an anaesthetist, physiotherapist. Sonographer. Yeah, who else? A paediatric nurse, obstetrician, mother of four. Oh, just all the people you need to hear from. So if that's you... Come and join us at www.growmybaby.com.au. We often talk about planned pregnancies, but really the unexpected pregnancies are also pretty common. Oh, of course they are. Yeah, 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 yeah that's right. And we don't perhaps we haven't talked about that enough. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Um, and so, what supports are there? There's your local GP. And their little black book full of um, counselling services. Mm. There's your own friends and family and um, people you, people you trust and can turn to. 
And I'm not just talking about for the pregnant woman, it's um, the it's partner the as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And then there are um, counselling services um, available through the clinics that um, organise termination, terminations of pregnancy. Mm. They they will also talk to a couple about, is this what you want? Is this really what you want? Mm. Yeah. So they provide a counselling service as well. And I know at the moment in Australia, you can actually have pregnancy counselling support uh, that's Medicare rebatable. Yep. So you can talk to your GP and I think you can get up to three sessions. And, you know, that might be three quick sessions because, as yeah. you said, there's a time frame to make all your decisions. Yeah. Um, but that might be a good route for you guys to go down and, and just seek some expert help to help you work out, well, what's really going on? Is it just fear yeah. um, or is it that your partner perhaps doesn't want a baby? Like, you know, that they're, they're all things that need to be explored. Yep, absolutely. And it might be in two phases. There might be what do we do about our current situation and then longer term, uh, how do we grow as a couple to the point where we either decide um, that we do or don't want, want, want uh, another pregnancy and until we work that out, a reliable contraceptive plan. And it's, it's really hard to know when you're ready. It's very, very hard to know when you're ready to have a baby. I mean, I think ultimately a lot of people have readiness sort of thrust upon them. Yeah. Ju- it just happens and they go, okay, I'm ready. And certainly over the history of humankind, that was how it was done. Yeah. Yeah, you were ready when it happened. These days with very reliable contraception and people starting later and all of those things, um, we certainly see a phenomenon where people think that we have to have absolutely every one of our ducks in a row before we start a family. Mm. And that might that might involve some really some really long-term things like like to have started a – paid off half the house or yeah. paid off a whole, the whole house or, or something Started like. a new business yeah, or, you know, or, yeah. Exactly. And sometimes we see plans that really aren't realistic, um, i.e. I want to do all of that and then have four children mm. and it might that might involve starting a bit late. Yeah. Uh, so all of those things, when we're making all those plans, we might also be well advised to have a plan for what if we have a – what if we have a uh, – Unintended pregnancy in the meantime. Yeah. Good luck with that. Um, we are feeling for you and thinking about you, and um, I hope that has helped a little bit. Get onto your GP and, and see if they can help you further. Well done for getting in touch. All right, Pat, I'm going to read the next one out. Good. It's from Ty. Hi, Dr. Pat and Bridget. Thank you for your podcast today. So she's writing this when we released the Plan Caesarean section podcast. Good. I'm currently 36 weeks pregnant with baby number two. During my first delivery, both of my hip labrums were torn. One was surgically repaired 12 months later, which caused significant rupture of my pubic symphysis and damage to both SI joints. This was diagnosed after the hip surgery and has caused permanent pelvic instability and pelvic slash back pain ever since I gave birth. I understand what happened to me is very rare, but it is is a planned caesarean section safest for subsequent deliveries considering the damage to the ligaments or has the damage been done and a vaginal birth would be considered safe? My baby was 3.32 kilograms and was not in a bad position or stuck. After I gave birth, I was unable to walk, move my legs or bear any weight. Over the months that followed, I gradually started walking around the house. I was never able to return to normal, i.e. walking for exercise or returning to work, due to the constant pelvic pain. Just wondering, as you didn't cover previous injuries or trauma in today's podcast, thank you again. Yeah, well, that's, I mean... I'm so sorry to hear that. Oh, such a such a of those dreadful um, outcomes. <laughs> a lot of things happened in your you. birth, yeah, and and a you know a complex birth with a, with a, a lot of those orthopedic injuries. How rare are they? That is that's some rare stuff. Yeah, okay, that's that's rare. I'm sorry to hear that. 
It, it really does bring up a good point, though, and that is that if I've been through the vaginal birth and and suffered those injuries, has the horse bolted on those injuries anyway? Yeah. And do I really need to be protected from those injuries again? Um, uh, or should I just have another vaginal have birth? You know, yeah. Is it worth having a Caesar to protect me against something that's essentially already happened? Yeah. Yeah. So a common, a, more, a much more common situation would be I had some stress incontinence after my first birth. So I'm thinking of having a Caesar to protect my bladder. But really, the stress incontinence has already been caused. Right. It's already happened. Yeah. Um, another vaginal birth may make that no worse at all. And it may or may not need a repair one day, but that's already set in stone. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. So. There are some situations where that's well worth considering in your future plan. You know, has has and, and really, I think what we need to do is is talk to our carers about that exact question. Hasn't the damage already been done? Mm. And will having a plan section for my second baby actually protect me? Or could she ask? Would having another vaginal birth make it worse? Even yes, though exactly. the damage has yeah. been done. Well, I mean, yeah. it sounds like in this case it might. Um, and someone might say, look, the, risk, the risks of vaginal birth for you are exacerbating or repeating or recurring all of those injuries. Mm. And the risk of a Caesar, it's got a few but not many, and it's likely to be better for you. Common ones, uh, something like third degree, te- third degree tear or fourth degree tear, often will say, look, we fixed it last time. We fixed it really well. Your anal sphincter function is excellent. But if that happens to you again, we may not get a repair that's as good the second injury on the sphincter and you're probably better off not risking that and we'll do sections from now on. Mm, yeah. Uh, but we need to get you know the, an answer to that exact question from our care team. Which mightn't actually be the obstetrician as such. No, this sounds like it probably should come from the author. Orthopedic Orth- yeah. guys, yeah. So she could go back and and get both opinions, perhaps from an obstetrician and an orthopedic surgeon. That would be the ideal scenario, yeah. and say, look, really, how much how much additional risk am I at here, or has it all just already happened? Mm. Even yeah. a physio, I'm sure she's seen a physio as well. So, um, even an opinion from an physio perspective, absolutely. And I mean, they'd be the three people you would ask, mm. um, and you may not get the clearest of answers. And sometimes what also comes into it is, is sort of what am I most afraid of? Yeah. How much of that are you still carrying from your first birth? Like are you fearful about how you reacted and how you um, – what happened after? Like yeah. I'm sure she's going through the vaginal birth, everything's going well and then everything didn't go well. Well, the, the wheels have really fallen off there. And mm. I mean the actual clinical scenario that we hear about here, it's a bit too rare. Like I mm. don't know the answer mm. to how much another vaginal birth could could make that all happen again, mm. um, but the ortho—I mean, she mentioned surgery, so the orthopedic surgeons who've looked after would be her might involved know, might yeah. know the answer. Yeah, and and remember, it's um, what are the risks? What are the benefits? What if I do nothing? <laughs> what if yeah, I go yeah. through and have yeah. the vaginal again? Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll read the next one out. Mm. All right, Patty, I've got another one here Good. for you. Good, doing well. Hi, Doctor Pat. They didn't want to hear from me. Hi, Doctor huh. Pat. I'm hoping you could help me with a question. I'm not having much luck finding the answer on Google with. No, oh, I wouldn't. There's your mistake. <laughs> I Google everything. I can understand why people do it. I had an early miscarriage last month at 4.5 weeks. I usually have a re- very regular period, but am now two days late and testing negative on a pregnancy test. I'm just wondering if it's expected for a miscarriage to alter your cycles and how best to reliably track future cycles when trying to conceive. 
Yeah, it says last month. Mm. Yeah, okay. So I wouldn't be too worried about this cycle. Again, we need to know what the cycle is normally like, but let's assume for a moment that it's normal and it must have been um, an ovulatory cycle to get pregnant, albeit briefly. Uh, so that pregnancy sadly ended in, in early miscarriage. And then the subsequent cycle, well, the, the, the period would usually come back four to six weeks later after after that miscarriage and if the, if the uterus is completely empty, um, either naturally or, or with a curette. And so it can be a tough time while you're waiting because you think, I can't even try again until I've got that, that new cycle. So the first cycle afterwards often doesn't really count. If there's been no bleed for, um, uh, by the time we get up to about eight weeks, the first thing to do is a pregnancy test to make sure we haven't just got pregnant already because ovulation comes before menstruation. Um, and, and it's possible you could have just conceived again. And we see that from time to time. And then when the period comes back, the, the first day of bleeding, no matter when it comes, is the new day one. And we and we uh, we chart the cycles and use the OPKs and, and watch things from there. And I can understand someone's worry. Like they've just mm. gone through a miscarriage and then all of a sudden their next cycle isn't with them. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. but it's normal for it not to have yeah, returned. Yeah, yeah good. Yeah. So you've got to give that a month or two. Yeah. And then um, I think a, a reasonable time frame to go and get some help is if, is if the cycle has not return to normal within three months. Three months, all right. Yeah. 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 But the f- if she had a regular cycle before. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Irregular cycle before, then that's a different story. Different yeah. story. All right. Well, that is all. Well, we've got more questions. We actually had some really great questions about epidurals and IVF pregnancies and all the rest, but they're sort of separate podcast episodes, I think. Good. So, yes, all, keep your questions coming. We love hearing your voice on the speak pipe. So, yeah. get we, on. I want to do a, a whole podcast on how an IVF pregnancy might be managed differently to a non IVF pregnancy. Yeah. And uh, and I think that yeah, the more questions we get sent about that, the better. All right. Yeah. So if you if you've got any questions about IVF pregnancies, uh, just pop, pop them in the uh, speak pipe or in our DMs on Instagram, which is just at the Kick Pregnancy Podcast, uh, and we'll get to those. And uh, this episode, Pat, is going to be released when when we're in the Northern Territory. Oh, good. When we're on holidays. <laughs> so yeah. um, just a little tidbit. A, 2021, we had our family booked to go to Northern Territory and it was the day that Darwin got shut down. So (laughs) we've been waiting to go on a two-week holiday for a long time. The last one was 2015. That's that's last time we had two weeks. Two weeks. Oh, that's terrible. <laughs> yes. Oh my god! All right, good. We've had other. We've had some brief. We've holidays. had some brief holidays in between, but wow. having two weeks as, off as an obstetrician um, is is there's a lot of logistics that goes into that. Goodness. So, All right, fantastic. So um, I will. Uh, um, yeah, I hope you guys in, enjoy this um, episode when it comes out. If you're listening to it right now, and uh, yeah, we'll be um, up there in the sunshine. We might put some. Um, pics in the dms and i mean in our stories and nice. yeah <laughs> good all right everyone have a great week and uh yeah enjoy thanks for listening everybody thanks for listening